the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes and the Oscar to... Goes to. My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I could have been a contender. Fasten your seat. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer. Oh, really? Love is his ass. Love. Too weak a word. Stay back. I loathe you. I love you. I love you. I did as you said. Don't lie! If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it and validate it. Remember that you told me? It's time, Robbie. Welcome to the next Best Picture Podcast. And the Oscar goes to The Shape of Water. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 83 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Neglia, and joining me today, I have William Mavity. Hello, everybody. And... This is going to take uh, some people probably by surprise. Um, About almost a year ago, uh, we had someone on our show here quite frequently. Her name was Kristen Lopez, is Kristen Lopez. And I want to publicly acknowledge that uh, Kristen and I split ways a while ago. And I can honestly say that it maybe wasn't under the best of circumstances necessarily. And there was this kind of a, I don't want to say feud or bad blood, but there was just kind of this riff uh, between the two of us, and it got to a point where uh, Kristen and I finally decided to um, chat with one another, talk about it, and we agreed to bury the hatchet, and as a result, joining us for this episode, Kristen Lopez, everybody. Hello. Kristen, I... (laughs) I, I honestly did not think we would see you back here, but I have to say I am actually, like I was saying before, I'm so pleasantly surprised. It, it is great to hear your voice. And how are you? How have you been? What have you been working on? Oh, I've been really busy. <laughs> <laughs> it is a, it is a, a full-time, free, a freelance full-time career of writing is um, both exhilarating and a nightmarish hellscape from which... You wish you could just quit. Um, so I've been, I've been doing a lot. Um, I got to go to AFI Fest. Got to meet uh, a bunch of people from Call Me by Your Name, which made me very happy and very nervous and very sweaty and uh, embarrassing. <laughs> um, because that was my my one of my favorite movies last year. I've been writing extensively, so I've been on Daily Beast. Somehow I ended up on the Hollywood Reporter a bunch of times. Apparently. Um, wrecking the fabric of uh, American values because I wrote about how it was great to see Shape of Water be a sex positive uh, movie about a disabled woman. And apparently that meant I was condoning slutty handicapped women to um, commit bestiality. That's a literal comment I got. Um, (laughs) And uh, I got published on Roger Ebert, which I felt was like my merit badge that I had arrived finally as, as a writer um, even though it was probably the most challenging thing I'd ever done. So it's been it's been great, but it's also been so physically exhausting. <laughs> and that's on top of starting podcasts and trying to write reviews and see movies and have time to sleep. so it's been it's been crazy. Well, uh, your podcast, um, please, uh, can you tell tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I started uh, a podcast. I was wanting to do a podcast a long time with with women and and then when when you and i parted ways i was like you know what 
then do this. Um, so I kind of credit Matt as lighting the match a little bit um, to help me start uh, my podcast, which is Citizen Dame, which I do every week with uh, Karen Peterson of Award Circuit and Lauren Humphreys Brooks and Kimberly Pierce. And we talk feminism. We talk film news. We've talked we've been covering me too since it started um we objectify men um we do we do a lot of different stuff and it's a lot of fun and we just ended up on spotify i have no idea how that happened but apparently we are and it's it's been great we got a lot of fun things in the hopper we started a website um where i got to talk about how much i despised mute and we lauren got to talk about how much she thinks earth girls are easy as a very progressive feminist film um so we we do a lot of really fun and unique stuff um that we're actually really passionate about uh in terms of making a film podcast that is all about women. No offense to you guys, but you know, we wanted to have one that didn't feel so much like it was a boys club. Um, that's not a bad thing, but we wanted to kind of level the playing field. And I think we have, it's been, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. I would say that the work that, uh, you all are doing is something that is very unique within the marketplace, the industry, whatever you want to call it. And it's a voice that I hope, I hope, is inspiring other female writers, film critics, um, or even just movie fans in general um, to contribute their voices um, either on their own show, other shows, through their writing, whatever the case might be. The landscape is changing uh, to such a radical degree right now, and we're seeing a lot more diversity Um not just with the female voices as well, but also to um, people of color, uh, Asian community, everything else. Um, and we're seeing that also, too, in a lot of the films that, it, that are uh, saturating the marketplace more and more frequently. It's still um, low, I would say, um, but I do see that we're getting a gradual uh, change as we progress forward. I mean, for example, um, I think right now, as of today, this Sunday recording, um, I think Black Panther now is officially the fifth highest grossing film of all time, right behind Jurassic World, which it's surely going to overtake. I don't know if it'll overtake Titanic, but I mean, that's pretty, pretty amazing in this day and age to see how far uh, things are going. It's really refreshing. I mean, I know Wrinkle in Time didn't do well, but I mean, that's that's also part of it. Um, It also it opened up a lot of great conversation, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, And even something like Pacific Rim, I mean, say about, you know, its quality, it still has John Boyega as its lead. So, I mean, we're seeing this shift with, you know, finally, we're getting people of color stories. And I think it's it just needs to be the tipping point. I don't I don't want Hollywood to rest on its laurels. Like, I would love to see a positive movie about disability that actually might have a disabled character in it before I die. Like, I think that mm-hmm. that we still have a long way to go in terms of, of representing all people, but it's it's got to be happening soon because people are talking about it. People are acknowledging it. And if anything, I think the critical community that we're all a part of is slowly changing because now you're getting a lot of the old guard critics kind of putting their foot in their mouths with being unable to deal with this the way that film is changing and their spot in it. I'm not going to name names, but we all know who some of these guys are. And yes, they're men um, for the most part. <laughs> 
But, you know, I think that it's all it's all a dialectic. I mean, film influences the culture, which influences film. And I think that we're we're seeing these conversations happening where and, and social media being as fervid as it is. Studios have to either acknowledge and get with the times or continue to look passe and wonder why nobody goes to the movies anymore. Yeah, you know, it was interesting because there were a lot of examples of this. And uh, I'm the kind of person that uses um, like like almost like a measuring tool, so to speak. Um, For example, you know, Greta Gerwig nominated for Best Director uh, this year for Lady Bird, right? That's all well and good. That's 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 fine. My thing is, I want to see it happen again next year with somebody else. Um, that that, and then if we keep seeing like a reoccurrence, um, that to me is a good um, signal that we're heading in the right direction. As opposed to Catherine Bigelow nominated in two thousand nine, and the next woman is not until nine years later. You know, like that. That to me is not. Um, progress necessarily as it pertains to the award season which you know obviously is our main uh, focus here on the show um but it's it, this is interesting though because there's a lot of conversations this week that pertain to the industry this growing change uh that i want to uh, get us to, uh, to talk about on this week's episode but first things first um i'll start off with uh, a very basic question one that i always like to start us off with uh let's start off with you first will um have you caught up on anything this week either in the theater or at home yeah, I saw Isle of Dogs last night. Ah, there we go. So, I'm very curious to hear your take on that one. I, mean, I thought I thought it was solid. I mean, I think some of the uh, points that have been made that it's super culturally appropriative are really worth bringing up. Um, it, it is a generally sweet film. It's marred a little bit by that. Um, but I enjoyed it. It's not my favorite Wes Anderson, but the animation is stellar. I liked a lot of the voices. You know, it's the production design is incredible. It, it, it was a solid film. It didn't blow me away. I still prefer things like Royal Tenenbaums, Grand Budapest, and Moonrise Kingdom. But I definitely enjoyed it. Uh, what did you both think? I think you've both seen it now. I did not. I, I ended up missing my screening for... A multitude of reasons. So I haven't I haven't seen it, but I've been following the discourse about um, its appropriation all week. And it's it's been grim. Yeah, it's been a very interesting topic of conversation for sure. I certainly felt it while watching it, although I I can't say I personally related to that. I don't think it was minus. I don't know if it was so much my place uh, to comment on that as much. I acknowledge that it's there. But I do think there are other voices right now within the community that have brought it up and are getting the recognition that they deserve for bringing it up because they're right. And I'm glad that it's inspired such a great conversation as a result. Um, My main issue with it was this whole stop and go sense of the pacing of the movie where it didn't really ever seem to build up momentum. And it's long. I I felt it was way too long um it's the longest stop motion film ever made there you go so that right there was something that um i could not get fully into it i i found fantastic mr fox um by comparison to just be a more light fun movie overall that was in and out 89 minutes very quickly uh, this one, it seemed to drag its feet a little bit, although I will admit to, Will, you're right. It, it, it's funny at times. Voice acting is pretty on point. Like, Brian Cranston is pretty 
pretty good in that in that lead role there. Um, but and the animation is stunning, of course. You know, there were certain things in this where you're just watching and you're like, how the hell did they do that? You know, because you have certain things going on within the frame at once in the foreground foreground and the background. And they're both on like two different, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, like they're both operating at different levels of speed. And you just say to yourself, like, how as an animator does one, you know, keep sync of that? It just... It, it, it really blows my mind. Stop motion is like one of the most fascinating uh, fields of animation for me. It's just unbelievable. And I wish we had more of it. All right. And uh, Kristen, what did you catch up on this week? Um, it's been, it's been a pretty slow month for me uh, this week. I've been, I'm, I'm working on a piece for TCM. So I'm watching a lot of William Holden stuff for oh, the nice. last week. Um, but I did get to rewatch. Um, it's a movie I had seen before, and, but I hadn't written on it. So I watched Final Portrait this week. Okay. Which is the the Jeffrey Rush, um, Giacometti film. Yes, it has Arby Hammer in it, which is kind of the reason why I got picked to review it. Um, because most people know about my my love for him, and I've seen it twice now, and it's it's fine. Um, which is my kind of like my go to. It's mediocre. Um, it's a really interesting look at like the creative process. I think if you're a writer or an artist, you'll understand just the distraction that you often try to create for yourself so that you don't have to focus on, on writing or, or painting or whatever you're doing. Um, so I thought Jeffrey Rush was brilliant in the part. Um, I liked his relationship that he has with his wife and his mistress, which is really compelling. And Tony Shalhoub's, you know, kind of this like quiet storm in the corner as, as his brother. And then you have army hammer who this, he did this after call me by your name. So it's not nearly as an effervescent, memorable performance. It doesn't help that the color palette's also really drab. Um, so, so he's just kind of, it's the straight man, you know, he's rolling his eyes. He sits around a lot. Um, it's not really his movie and that's, that's okay. But if you are watching this after watching Call Me By Your Name because you want to see him in something, you're going to be really disappointed. But overall, I mean, it's directed by Stanley Tucci. So I think he's got a lot of good ideas. I think we now just need to work on making the scripts as compelling to necessitate that idea. So this is a it's a worthy effort. Um, I liked it, but it's not something that you're really going to remember. You're going to be like, Oh, that came out. Um, technically this came out last year and it's finally getting released this year. So take that for what you will. That's fair. Um, I, I hope that's sorry to bother you, which I believe is the next time we'll see army hammers, uh, face on screen. I hope that that satisfies you because he plays a, yeah, it's pretty wild. I've been told some. Uh, I've been told some story. Boots Riley follows me on Twitter. I do not know why, but he does. And I was like, "This movie I've heard is phenomenal, and that I'm going to be very happy." So I, I've been told by people who saw it back at Sundance that there's a scene in the movie that that is going to that seems like it was made with me in mind. I was like, "Oh God!" I got told that about "Call Me by Your Name," and it was true. But I, I don't know. I don't know what to expect. I'm very excited for that one. Uh, I'm very excited to see what people think of it when they see it because it is... Uh... It's a hard sell. I love those trailers, though. They look hilarious. It, it is the unique concept uh, of the year uh, in the colossal Swiss Army Man sort of vein where people are going to watch it and they're going to walk out of that and they're going to be like, 
where the hell did that come from, from that guy's imagination? <laughs> you know, um, it, it's pretty wild. Apparently they can't say masturbation in trailers for theaters because I noticed I saw that trailer in front of Isle of Dogs and they have replaced the scene where it says, good morning, power caller. I hope you didn't masturbate today. Um, mm. they, they've replaced that dialogue with something else entirely about like, I, yeah. So just fun fact, they can now say ass and I think even shit in trailers, but you can't say masturbation still. So continuing on. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> God, you gotta love the priorities. Like, we can just have cursing, but a technical term about self-pleasure, like, that's where we, that's a hard no. Like, really? Anything with sex, our rating system is like, eh, no. <laughs> you know? You can have really violent stuff in trailers, too. I mean, like, it's, 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 uh, this is obviously a completely different conversation that people have had for years that the MPA is weird, but they're, you know, there's there's a movie called Furlough coming out this year. Have y'all heard of it? It has um, my mind's going blank, but it's coming out later this year. It's rated R for a brief sexual reference, which means somebody makes a sex joke. There's not even any cursing involved in it, and I got rated R just for that. And there's literally it's the only thing it's rating reason. They got to appeal. This that. is the country we live in. <laughs> yeah, that's ridiculous. I mean. Yeah, I, I, I got nothing to say about that. This, is, That's this just... is your reminder to go watch This Film Is Not Yet Rated, the documentary about the oh, rating system. Yes. Oh, Kristen, that movie has Tessa Thompson in it, Furlough. That's it a does. new movie. I, I was, I, I, as soon as you mentioned the name, I was like, how do I know this movie? And then I was like, my girl Tessa T is in it. Okay. So um, I guess as a screw you to the MPA, go support Tessa Thompson and yes. Melissa Leo. And Always support Tessa Thompson. And, uh, well, Melissa Leo, I say some movies you don't need to support, but... Yeah. Uh, so, this week... Um, I'll start off with what I watched at home. I, I, I went on a Lord of the Rings binge. Um, I started with Fellowship of the Ring last week. Uh, this week, though, I watched The Two Towers and Return of the King back-to-back. And... You guys know, you know, it's my favorite movie of all time. I watch it every now and then. Um, I don't really have so much to comment on that other than to say exactly that. It's still my favorite movie of all time. I, I agree that it has problems, um, but just in terms of subjectivity, like that, that is like the be all end all for me. It did inspire me to go back and rewatch the Hobbit series, though, which I have not watched since seeing each one of them in theaters. I, I've never gone back and rewatched them. And I went back and I rewatched The Hobbit and Unexpected Journey last night, and I actually liked it more than I remember liking it. I don't love it, um, but I, I, it's it's more beautiful than I remember it being. Um, now that I understand like the stakes more, the fact that there really aren't that many stakes, it kind of helped me to enjoy it a bit. I, I I agree that they don't do as good of a job as introducing the characters as well, and you know distinguishing them from one another. But the message of the movie, I think, is still on point. It's shot uh, pretty darn well when you get past the 48 frames per second projected in the movie theater um, made-for-TV look that it, that it looked like. I don't know what it was. Maybe just watching it on a smaller screen on Blu-ray at home um, maybe just benefited it a bit more for me. I'm, I'm not sure. But now I'm very curious to watch Desolation of Smog and 
Oh god, Battle of the Five Armies, which I really did not enjoy when I saw it. But who knows? The series goes downhill. Yeah, I, I'm I'm curious though because a lot of people favor uh, Desolation of Smog over An Unexpected Journey. So uh, I'm curious to see where that falls for me. Unexpected Journey, even when I saw it in theaters, is the only one that kind of felt like a Lord of the Rings movie to you. Like, despite themselves, they managed to make that one have character arcs. Um, it is the best shot. It probably has the best VFX work, those horrible goblins aside. And it's probably got the most plot accomplished. Mm. So it's... Uh, Desolation of Smog is just action sequences. Well, that's how I kind of felt with Unexpected Journey, where I just felt like we were going from set piece to set piece to set piece. Um it's it it is a very um different experience than watching Lord of the Rings where it's this war movie pretty much with characters you really care about. Um I don't know. I need to I need to ruminate on it a little bit more. Um as far as something though that I have been thinking a lot about since I saw it in the movie theater a few days ago, I saw Lynn Ramsey's new film You Were Never Really Here with Joaquin Phoenix. I've heard I've heard so many mixed things about that. Yeah, I didn't love it. Um I gave it a 7 out of 10. I know Deanne, who saw it at Sundance, loved it a lot more than I did. I think she gave it an 8 or a 9. I can't remember. Um, Joaquin Phoenix is one of our best actors working today. Um, That guy, I don't know how he's able to make each performance so distinct than the previous one. But that, as an actor, he digs very deep. Like, you can really feel the empathy... um, that generates for, for his performances. I, I mean, it, it, it's quite extraordinary. I, I wouldn't say it's his best work and I'm not going to say he's going to get him any Oscar traction, but it's just yet another solid uh, performance from him. The movie really does move at a extremely slow and contemplative uh, p- pace for 89 minutes. It, it felt like two hours, but I... I also don't think it's as cool as something like Drive, for example. It's uh, it's a movie about trauma. It's a movie about trauma and uh, a man who has seen way too much of it. And what does that do to a human being when you know they've reached their breaking point in terms of how much trauma they can actually endure? I, I, I recommend seeing it, but I also recognize that it's not going to be for everybody. Now, in terms of what's coming out later on uh in the year we actually got a trailer this week for uh david david robert mitchell david mitchell robert what's his name again david david robert mitchell david David robert Robert mitchell Mitchell, uh the director of it follows um i'm sure most people listening have seen it follows and we've been very curious to see what his follow-up was going to be this one is an a24 film called under the silver lake and it stars andrew garfield riley keogh and topher grace uh, let's take a look at that trailer. Come on in. I saw you spying on me earlier. No, I wasn't. Okay. See you tomorrow. Good. out in the middle of the night nothing strange about it she wanted to leave how does that not make sense i don't understand why she didn't tell me maybe she didn't like you maybe she knows you're poor and haven't paid your rent oh my 
We found some kind of code or like secret message in her apartment. It means stay quiet. Our world is filled with codes, subliminal messages, from Silver Lake to the Hollywood Hills. Could any of this be connected to Sarah? I know this girl. There's a message in the music. Really think you're gonna find a hidden message in a pop song? One, two, three. Can't quite see it, but I'm close. Honey, how are you? Mom, I'm fine. Mostly fine. Um. Why do we assume that all of this information is what we're told it is? Maybe there are people out there who are more important than us, more powerful, communicating things in the world that are meant for only them and not for us. Yeah. Oh, you think that's weird? A little. Welcome to Purgatory. Good to be here. You're living in a carnival. Hoping to win a prize. What are you gonna win? Thoughts. Okay, so um, I've I've seen it follow several times, and it's a movie that I think only benefits from seeing once, and then you start to nitpick um, the issues with it that exist, um, and then it just becomes a blah movie. Um, I watched the trailer for this. I'm a fan of LA set takes on neo noir. Uh, I, I I know a lot of people didn't like it, but I really enjoyed Gemini. Um, that came out this this weekend, I think, um, which is I think also uh, an A twenty four film, um, and I think no, it would neon. Be, it's a neon, excuse me. Um, I think this might that might have been a better take on this. Um, this one looked like I described it as the Big Lebowski ran into inherent vice, and then they decided to just make make go with it. Um, it really felt like inherent vice to me. With Andrew Garfield as kind of like this lovesick um idiot who meets a girl and then starts to decode possibly all these clues that lead to some sort of big conspiracy it feels incredibly similar to i'm gonna get literary and nerdy if anybody's read which inherent vice is also written by the same author if you've read like crying of lot 49 by thomas pynchon um i would really love it and i i've been telling people it would be really funny if i ended up being right I would love it if the movie ends with like the discovery that Andrew Garfield's character, you know, there's a part in the trailer where the guy says, maybe she just moved. You know, maybe she doesn't actually like want to hang out with you. Maybe she, she doesn't care. I would love it. If at the end of the movie, he just like realizes, no, the universe wasn't leaving you messages. You are either crazy or you're just, uh, you know, average white guy who thinks that the universe is leaving him things, especially yes. for him. Yes, um. <laughs> nailed it. Yes, I had the same exact thought. I, I thought to myself, wouldn't it be amazing if he goes on this journey to find her? He finds her, and she's all like, "Dude, like, I don't care." Wait, what? Yeah, and he's all like, "I went on this epic journey to find you," and she's like, "I didn't want to be found," you know. Yeah, I, I would love it if if it, that was it, like some sort of intentional commentary, but. I'm getting the sneaking suspicion that it's not. Um, so, I mean, I thought Inherent Vice was was good. Um, I probably enjoyed it more than most people did, even though I haven't seen it since it came to theaters. Um, so I just feel like this is an also-ran. This is something I've seen before. 
Um, I mean, Andrew Garfield's cute, and I, I don't think he's really figured out what to do with his career um, post-Spider-Man, so he's just kind of going down every avenue and seeing what sticks. Um, but I, I don't know. I feel like this has been done before. But I am a sucker for films set in Los Angeles that showcase um, the city because I love it so much. And I love A24. They have more hits than misses. So, I mean, I'm hoping this is good, but I'm I'm on the side of, like, it's not going to be. Well, yeah, I mean, like, it, it looks intermittently entertaining. It's kind of an interesting direction for him to take after it follows. It looks technically well-directed. Um, <clears throat> I, I would say there's also shades of David Lynch in there, maybe. Oh, if it's yeah. a lot of inherent vice, it does get a little bit of something Lynchy. But I need to see more to feel like this is something. I, I, I've been really excited for whatever he was going to put out next because I, I, I've only seen It Follows once, so maybe I haven't had a chance to nitpick. But I was very excited, and this isn't quite the direction I thought he was going to take. But I, I'm intrigued, but it didn't grab me the way a trailer last week did, like Can You Ever Forgive Me, where I'm just like, oh my god, I need that in my life now. Yeah, yeah it's, not, it's not a trailer that made me excited to see it. It's not a trailer that made me say, what the hell am I watching? Which I have said about a trailer in the last two weeks, and I'm not going to say what it is. Uh, But yeah, it it didn't elicit an emotional response for me either way. Yeah, I kind of got that. You got to tell us what trailer that was. (laughs) It was was the Life Itself trailer. Oh, God, yeah, no, yeah. Mm -mm. I have reasons for, for hating on that movie already, and... Yeah, the trailer was just uh, citizen. Karen Peterson and I have a bet going about that movie right now, so that won't pay off until it actually comes out in September. But we're, we're we have a bet going. It, I don't think it's gonna. <laughs> I, I no, I I don't. I'll be very surprised if it if it does. The the bet is is that if I say it's if I watch it and I still say it's horrible, um, then I have to make Karen do something, which I've not figured out what I'm gonna make her do because I don't really know what Karen hates. Um, Karen seems to like everything, so I don't want to give her something that I think she'll have fun with. Um, and then if, if I tell her that I liked it in spite of everything, then I have to watch an episode of This Is Us, which I've never seen an episode of the show. So, yeah, yeah. Man, you got to come up with a really good trade-off for that. <laughs> I'm thinking, so I'm, I'm eliciting suggestions if anybody has them for what I, I could make her do um but yeah we're we're uh caught i i that movie and i are just gonna i know we're gonna part ways i know we're gonna part ways (laughs) i know too much about it speaking speaking of uh television um there was a conversation that came up this week because i mean one he's one of the most respected and well-known directors in the world he has a new film coming out this week called ready player one steven spielberg made some comments about Netflix, its place within the industry, and also its ties to uh, award season as well. He believes that Netflix uh, should be contending for Emmys and should not necessarily be in contention for the Oscars. It, it, it's a conversation that um, I feel like we've had before, but I'm just really curious to know now that this is being brought up again, um, what each one of your thoughts are on it. And also, too, if you were a decision maker within the Academy, what would you do um, to either solve, compromise, or get rid of, not sure, um, 
rules, so to speak, uh, on this issue? So, you know, it's it's funny that we talk about or I talk about how film really repeats itself in, in terms of historical movements. And if you look at how resistant to talkies silent era film, some some silent era filmmakers were, you're going to see a lot of similarities to the directors that are really anti-Netflix at this point. Um, it's the same thing. It's it's the new frontier and they really don't know how to deal with it. Um, and some people are embracing it um, and others are not. And S- Steven Spielberg, I think he forgets he came out of the 80s with, it wasn't quite the film school kids but that that medium was changing. I mean, hell, he reinvented the medium with with Jaws, which was not they had never done wide releases like that. There had never been a fervor to go see a movie opening day like there was with that film. I mean, he changed the landscape. I would think he would embrace this. Um, I I personally don't think there's any reason to say that there should be any consideration for these things. Do do we complain about how? Emmys need to happen when a foreign film or a independent feature campaigns for a week to get awards consideration at the end of the year? No. Yeah. No, no. And so to say that these Netflix movies can't have that same thing, you're just showing that your bias is against the medium. So my argument is, and it's always been straightforward, if it's a feature-length film and it's not something, you know, that is seven you know, or eight hours um, that you have to, you would not watch in one sitting unless, unless you're Matt and it's Lord of the Rings. Um, And then I don't know how he does it. Um, It's a film. And if it gets that Oscar qualifying run, like every other movie, then it's a film. Damn it. There's no argument there. So let let me ask this question, because this is a a unique example. I saw The Tale at Sundance this year, uh, stars Laura Dern and Common and a few others. And it's a really, really good, movie. Uh, There was a lot of question of whether or not if it was going to be picked up by a major studio for theatrical release because it deals uh, with um, harassment and rape of a uh, young of a young girl by an adult man. And so that was a touchy subject that, you know, a lot of us were wondering who's going to pick this up. In the end, HBO picked it up. And because HBO picked it up, it's going to be released as a television movie, which will contend for uh, the Emmys. However, what is stopping someone like HBO who makes made-for-TV movies from releasing that film for a qualifying run in theaters and also getting uh, an Oscar qualifying run at the same time? I would say nothing other than the stigma of, of the network, of the medium, which is that HBO is a television network, therefore it is television. We have... We seem to have very narrow-minded perceptions with the way film is is so ubiquitous now, and you can release film in so many different mediums. You know, we're I, I think we're seeing a lot of these old guard gatekeepers, um, to use a term that I've been called <laughs> this week. Um, we're seeing a lot of them be like, if it if it barks like a duck and it premieres on HBO, it's a TV show. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I don't necessarily agree with that. I would say. There, there's no reason it couldn't have an Oscar qualifying run. There's none at all. But they won't do it because HBO believes, A, that it's probably far easier to get Emmy consideration than it would be Oscar consideration. So it benefits them to, to release it for Emmys. But also I think they know that the stigma is going to be attached to it. I mean, look at Beasts of the Southern, or Beasts of the Southern Wild, Beasts of No Nation. Um, yeah. 
nobody wanted to touch that when Netflix tried to put it in theaters. I mean, they were so against it. So I think we need to, I hate to say it to Steven Spielberg, because I'm assuming he's listening, um, you know, <laughs> got to change with the times, man. But then again, he's remaking West Side Story. So, you know, what do I know? That's a good point. Uh, Will? <laughs> no, I mean, Kristen summed up what I was going to say, which is that, you know, if it has that qualifying run, it's no different than like the foreign language contenders that are out for one week or something. It hit the same standards and then you can watch it in a small screen. As long, for the time being, if we're adhering to those rules, of you, because, I mean, Spielberg's the king of... You know, speaking of weird rules, he's the king of releasing a film at the last minute in December and for a week and still saying it fits as like a 2017 film or something. So it's it's ironic that he would be singling this out. Yeah, I mean, Netflix films are films. I, I will continue to harp on that. Yeah, um, I, I definitely understand where some people are coming from, uh, you know, somebody like and I'm and I'm not trying to put words in their mouth. I just have a feeling that this is what they probably think. Uh, Christopher Nolan probably does not, uh, you know, agree with uh, the Netflix uh, qualifying runs. Paul Thomas Anderson probably feels the same way. It's a lot of these guys that are clinging to um, the way that the system used to be. And what they were brought up uh, to believe, and they respect it so much. They're, they're, you know, a lot of them still shooting on film um, instead of digital. And it is, in a way, um, they, they are, like Kristen said, they're, they're just refusing to change with the times. I will, I will admit, there is a little bit of an underlying fear on at least my own personal uh, end, where I do worry that the movie industry should we keep on embracing more and more and more that it can be watched at home that the actual cinema going experience is going to continuously decline and eventually fade away i i have no i have no basis for that necessarily you know what i mean like i like it's just a feeling that i have and i don't even think it will happen in my lifetime but i do think it's something that you know when people look back on if it were to happen they would say it started with this and just the way that um, our minds changed in terms of how we consume media. Yeah, I, I would. Oh, oh. No, 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 no. It's okay. I was, I was just about to just you know let out a sigh. <laughs> uh, well, I'm gonna say. I mean, look, look back at the collapse of the studio system in in the late '60s at, mm-hmm. with television. I mean, just look at how we responded to television in yeah. the '50s. People were so resistant to that. Studios were so hesitant they were telling their actors don't do television it's a it's a death sentence for your career it's not going to go anywhere nobody's going to want to watch movies on a magic box um and, look and at now we see is. television shows with budgets as big as feature films shot on right. the same exact equipment in the same manner with the crews uh, it's the difference the line is blurred at this point yeah and and the problem is is that if if streaming keeps becoming as pervasive as it is if it keeps spreading and more directors get on board with it more actors get on board with it i think steven spielberg's going to be re revising his tune in a couple years or else just look incredibly passe and as i've said about other things wonder why nobody's going to see his movies um i mean i think it says a lot that he's making ready player one i mean i, I think it's almost ironic that he's making this movie that is so seeped in nostalgia and then saying, acting like he's, 
you know, some old guy saying to take your ball and get off my lawn about Netflix. <laughs> now, uh, I want to use this as a segue at this point for our weekly poll, which is uh, pertained to Ready Player One this week. This week's poll asked a question of which film that uses performance capture, which is another uh, still pretty new um, piece of technology within the filmmaking industry that clearly Steven Spielberg uh, has no problem, you know, uh, utilizing. Uh, We asked everyone which film that uses performance capture is your favorite. Before I get to that, though, I want to just review last week's poll, which pertained to Isle of Dogs. And the question was, uh, which film set in Japan is your favorite? Uh, There were a lot of choices. We had a write-in option as well. Um, well, I don't want to go necessarily down the list so, so much, but I will, uh, say this. Leading the poll, no surprise in my opinion, I I think it was pretty unanimous with us last week, the winner of last week's poll for best film set in Japan was Lost in Translation. Hey! Yay! (laughs) Right? (laughs) Um... So that got 23% of the vote from our from our listeners and readers. Thank you so much for that. Uh, in second place, there was a tie between Seven Samurai and Kill Bill. Each got 11.54% of that vote. And other than that, um, the next biggest thing was the write-in, actually, in third place. Uh, the write-ins got uh, quite a lot of mentions. Uh, we had... Uh, Yojimbo, uh, Ikiru, Rashomon, which actual I actual Japanese movies. <laughs> well, it, it's funny actually. I'm looking at my I'm looking at my list, and actually, I'm just realizing some of the write-ins are actually options. I don't know if they uh, maybe they just didn't see them and they were scrolling through. I'm not sure. V- Versus Vengeance is Mine, Sayonara, uh, some pretty good uh, Hiroshima, Monomore, uh, some pretty good options here overall. So. Uh, thank you, everyone, that voted on that poll last week. We really, really appreciate that uh, support there. Uh, this week, though, in terms of performance capture, uh, once again, way too many options, probably, uh, to choose from at this point. But, I mean, you pretty much look at almost every single Marvel film, every single big franchise film, anything that's like a quote-unquote you know, usage of CGI, they pretty much use performance capture to one degree or another. So, uh, Will, I'll ask you first, and Kristen, uh, Will, in terms of performance capture, which film is your favorite in terms of how it's used to technology? I mean, I think we have to go with the most groundbreaking recently is the Apes franchise. You know, it's it, it's kind of seemed like every time there's the new breakthrough in performance capture, that's going to be the default favorite. So it's either Lord of the Rings for me, because that's the one that really brought it to the public, or it's the apes, because they were so astonishingly photorealistic. Yeah, I, I, I have to say, like, this work, especially in War for the Planet of the Apes, the fact that they were the lead characters... And there's no, I mean, yeah, you have Woody Harrelson in there, but it's all told this time around through Caesar's point of view. The fact that they can have that technology carry a whole narrative throughout, um, it's an astonishing example of how far the technology has gone. Uh, Kristen? I tend to go motion capture the other way, which I enjoy more the quirky applications of it. Mm. So I actually would say my my one-two punch is uh, Ted. From, from Ted. <laughs> That's great. Um, mostly because that movie never made me feel like Mark Wahlberg was talking to a ball on a stick. 
Um, it always made me feel like that was a, a literal thing. Um, and Lupita Nyong'o in Star Wars. Ah, uh, Maz. Yeah. yeah, especially in two. I mean, she's er, in Last Jedi. She's got she's got a memorable part that is like one of my favorite moments in the movie because it's me essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, but but yeah, I think I think that's a, a brilliant performance. So I tend to go more with the the things that we know don't exist in reality and how you can buy that they're real for, for a minute. Yeah, definitely. Um, It's very interesting because uh, we've seen Spielberg use performance capture before with adventures of Tintin. Uh, He's now mixing live action with uh, the technology here in ready player one. Some have even gone as far to say that this is like Steven Spielberg's um, avatar so to speak, in terms of mixing both of those elements together. <sighs> the BFG, I, I, I like to try and forget that that movie exists. So I, I, I'm not going to necessarily acknowledge that <laughs> so much. But I, 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 I think we talked about this last week, uh, Will and I. Will and I are both kind kind of excited for Ready Player One, but not really. We're a little little hesitant, right, Will? That hasn't changed. Yeah. Yeah, because it's nostalgia porn. Yeah, uh, Chris, Chris and I understand you, based on some conversations I've seen you have on social media, you might be in the same same boat or maybe a little less so. Yeah, I'm not. I think it surprises a lot of people to hear. I'm not a, a ride or die Spielberg fan. Um, oh, no, I the guy's got some misses for sure. <laughs> I mean, I like certain things that he's made. I do not go out to see his films um, when they, you know, come out. Um I, I end up seeing a lot of them eventually. So yeah, and the runtime for this is really not exciting me. Two and a half hours, right? Two uh, two twenty. Oh oh it might as well be two and a half with tre- with previews. Um, so I I am not supportive of that. I've also heard from a lot of people who read the book that the source material is a bit problematic. Um, I mean, I love nostalgia, but I think that this movie is really aiming for like. For like Matt and Will, uh, people who, you know, young young men who were nostalgic about the, the 80s and 90s. And that's fine. Some movies just aren't meant for everybody. And I'm I'm OK with that. Um, so, I, you know, it is what it is. I'm going to go see it. So, yeah, what's weird with the source material is Ernest Klein tries to have it both ways. He tries to say that oh, this is unhealthy, and, you know, there's a question of the film, like, should we destroy nostalgia, and should we destroy this VR world? But at the same time, he's so caught up, and, oh, isn't this great? Look at all these references. It's so cool. And it doesn't, it's it's weird. And I suspect the film will be the same way, because they try to throw in messages about how all this is toxic, but then they drown in, like, oh, fuck, it's the Iron Giant. Yes, you know, so it's... But doesn't that make it for a better conversation instead of having one clear view on the matter as opposed you know being somewhere in the middle where then a you can um send the message out to a wider audience and b you know there there are equal weight on both sides then to have that debate and that discussion that's possible <laughs> I, I i just feel like we are going to walk out of this and i and i can't help but feel like uh, the conversation is going to be very much about remakes and sequels and ip and is it good is it bad and i i, I like that i like having that conversation i think it's going to be whether it's hit a wall or not you know this is such a self-flagellating um pay on to nostalgia that i think we're going to be asking like when is when is enough enough um and i also think i mean it, it happens with a lot of movies, but I think the gender divide too is going to be really high um, for for women who say like 
this is not my nostalgia. Like what's mm. what's picked is purely for you know young young white males, and that's that's how it is. I think it's being called Black Panther for gamers, mm. which I was kind of like, oh, oh god. god, that's that's not... the worst take I've ever heard. Exactly. And then I, I had a friend, uh, a fellow writer, Terrence Johnson, tell me that. Steven Spielberg is intentionally taking out references to himself in the, I guess the book makes references to all of Spielberg's work. Yeah. And that Spielberg himself didn't want that. So he took it out of the movie. And I was like, well, guy, you're, then you're making speculative fiction where it doesn't, where it's a, a landscape that doesn't exist without you considering how ubiquitous he is. So I guess he just doesn't want to come across as being vain uh, necessarily. True. Uh, although I, mean, I don't think he wants to be personally vain. The movie, I think is such a vanity project to what he's espousing um, yeah. about, about filmmaking. So it's, it's going to be a very odd weekend. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm very curious and very open to the possibility of what the takeaway message is really going to be. And how it, you know, and how it handles that. I, I'm, I, I will say this. Yes, I'm hesitant, but I am going in with an open mind to it. Um, simply because I, I you know, it, it's, it's funny because there are certain people, and I've had this conversation this week with a lot of people pertaining to Pacific Rim about how some folks just want to go into movies and they just want to just turn off their brain and just be entertained. That's fine. That's all well and good. I'm not looking for that with this movie. Does that make sense? I can see. I I think you're gonna get people who are who think it's both. Yeah. You know, I think you're gonna get the people who say, "Oh, it's it's saying a lot more than it is," and there are people who are gonna be like, "No, it's just a popcorn movie." And and I think that if anything, Spielberg is really smart, considering that I know this weekend there's not a lot of interest, at least from what I'm seeing online, about what was out this weekend and next weekend. I think. If memory serves, Ready Player One is the only film coming out next yeah. weekend. So well, Gemini is going wide next weekend. Ooh, oh, yeah. Well, I'm I'm ca- I'm catching that. Oh, well, sure. I was gonna say I know where I'll be. I've already seen it, but I'll go. And guys, don't forget, yeah. God's not dead. Three. Uh, what? Okay. No. There was a two. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Oh my God! It's it. Oh, you got to watch that. It's so funny. No, they bring. I don't have to do anything. <laughs> So Who are you, like, Will? Yeah. We don't need that in our lives. Hired LAPD homicide detective to try and prove that Jesus was crucified. Pa- I shit you not. Patreon goal right there. Like you make a crap ton of money, you'll you'll watch those. Hey, Kristen, thank you for the reminder. Actually, uh, this is the last week for everyone to vote on our Patreon uh, for which film they want us to review next. Um, on on the podcast, this will be exclusively for Patreon members, and it is tied to Avengers: Infinity War for the month of April. So we listed all of the Avengers films within the Marvel canon that we don't already have podcast reviews for on the site. So for those that are listening right now that have not gone over to vote on that, please do. Even if you're not a member of the Patreon, um, we appreciate the input. Uh, We really want this to be a fan-voted thing for us, and we want to be able to give back to everyone. And hopefully if it is continuous to be successful, we will uh, do more as time goes on. Hello, everyone. This is JD from the In Session Film Podcast. Each week, we review the latest from Hollywood, California. Well, yes, Brendan. We also give top three lists. Okay, yeah. Thanks again, Brendan. Additionally, you can hear us talk other movie news, trailers, varying movie series, or other interesting film-related topics, and even rants and raves of the week. 
That's correct, Brendan. On top of our main show, every Friday... You can also hear our extra film podcasts. Good job, Brendan. Thank you, JD. It's my goal to make you proud. You're the father after all. <laughs> yes, and I'm very proud. Uh, you can listen to the In Session Film podcast on... iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or at InSessionFilm.com. Brendan, will you please let me complete just one... Nope. Oh, for heaven's sake. Listen to the In Session Film podcast every Monday and Friday. Subscribe today and hear me verbally beat JD like a Cherokee drum. No, 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 no. That's not how this works, sir. Hey, no, you, you, no, no, you no. go cry at Midnight Special again, oh, okay? That's okay. what you're I good will. for. I will. You know what? And I'll do it while pummeling you. I'll do both at the same time. How are you going to pummel me? Yeah, I, I don't, I don't buy that. That's just how it works. Before we get to some fan questions uh, this week, there's one other piece of news that uh, I, I hate to acknowledge I have to acknowledge uh, because it deals so much in what we talk about on a weekly basis, and that is the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. Um, it's President John Bailey, who recently got appointed as uh, the, the head of the Academy, uh, got a sexual allegation uh, accusation thrown at him, and I immediately buried my head in the ground, shook it as much as I possibly could, and I just, I, ah, oh man, like, come come on, like, why, 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 how? That's the other question, too, like, how, you know what I mean? And he's come out, and he's, den- he's denied it, but it's like, what, like, really, guys, really? That That's all I really, I, I got nothing else to say other than dis- I'm just disappointed. I'm, I'm extremely disappointed. And also, too, I'm hoping that these new rules that they say that they put into place, I really hope that they can now, uh, you know, talk to talk and walk to walk with them and actually, you know, come to a, a conclusion with this as it pertains to his position right now. Because, you know, this is the sort of thing that we're trying to set an example within the industry well, here's an opportunity as far as I'm concerned. Well, and it, it hurts a little bit knowing that we could have had Laura Dern. Yeah, that's oh, what I was going I would have loved President Dern. That's what I mean when I say why. Like, why, why are we, like, you know, it, it's almost cliche. You know, it's almost cliche to say, like, we could have had Laura Dern. We got this. And then somebody somewhere probably, I mean, I think even we all thought it at one point or another. Ugh. They elected another, you know, uh, old white guy, and and he's probably going to have a sexual harassment thing in his past. It's probably going to surface. Ha 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 ha! <laughs> like this is ridiculous. It's no, it's it's America and microcosm. Just throwing that out there. I, and I mean, it's it's not. I, I think at this point, and maybe because I've been doing it for so long on Citizen Day, and we've been covering this so long like nothing surprises us anymore like we've gotten to the point if you listen to our podcast now when we talk about like garbage men as we call it we're just like yeah yeah we are not we have we have faves we have people that we're like if this person ever got accused we would walk away from film writing thank god knock on wood who's one of those people i just i'm just curious oh god okay and I swear to God, if this happens, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> um, I, I on my list personally, it would be it would be Jeremy Irons. Oh, yeah, that would that would cause me to be like, nope, I'm out, I'm done. Um, so he needs to keep his nose clean, his hands to himself now. Um, so Will, wait, now I got to ask Will just to level the <laughs> playing field. Will, who is your if this person got accused, it would just shatter everything for you? Oh God. I I mean, honestly, Spielberg or Tom Hanks would be pretty bad. Yeah, that's yeah, kind Tom, of Tom Hanks is mine. 
Yeah, everybody's um um I think hard pass is is Hanks or Spielberg. Um and I've heard rumors about at least one of them. Um, so, so yeah. Don't you dare! Oh my lord! I'm not even. I, we can talk about it off air because I don't want to. I don't want to talk out of turn. Um, it's you know, it's the gossip mill. But, but yeah. Um, I, those, Ooh, those are. Did those you see are the, what Jeremy? Oh, one. Did you see what Jeremy <laughs> Irons said? Uh, well, no, no, no. It's it's more just his comment. Oh yeah, he um, makes asinine statements all the time. <laughs> oh, oh, I, I thought, Will, I thought you were like alluding to something like just broken. I was gonna be no, like, what happened? <laughs> uh, no, but he has these comments like it's gone too far. There are too many people in power. There's too much to do. Oh, so he went to the school of uh, Liam Neeson interviewing, is what you're telling me? <laughs> I was like, I yeah, that sounds, that sounds like Neeson so meets Morgan Freeman. <laughs> Oh, yeah. you know, Kristen, I actually did think of you when I when I read Jeremy Irons' statement. I was like, oh, one, I wonder what's going through Kristen's mind right now while uh, reading this. Um, I will I will be sure to not tell him that when I see uh, his play in in June. <laughs> I was like, Fair. I could be like, you should support women, but I'm not. I'm not. I know I won't. Um, so yeah, it, it, he makes asinine statements all the time. As long as he keeps his hands to himself, I can keep writing in good conscience. <laughs> But John Bailey apparently has not kept his hands to himself. No. And that's, I think that's the thing. And again, I hate to belabor the point. It goes back to film history. You know, yeah. this is not, this was not something that started with Weinstein. This goes all the way back to the studio era. You know, Louis yeah. B. Mayer, Daryl Zanuck. Kurt, oh, fucking Kirk Douglas. Uh, don't get me started on Kirk, Will. I've already had that discussion on, on Citizen Dame. Um, yeah, we just we need to be better. Like guys, just be better. It's not that hard to like not lord your job over somebody and to keep your hands to yourself and not make sexual comments about your female employees. Like I would think this would be easy. Apparently it's not. <laughs> well, you know what is like really what would trouble what would trouble me is if a story broke out um and if one has broke out, by the way, and I'm not alluding to it, um, it's because I don't know about it. So call me out on it right now if I'm wrong here. But if a story broke out like about a new star like a year from now or, you know, even today, um, and this is not something that is from the past and decades of, you know, influence and so on and so forth. Like this is something that even with this in the public conscious eye, this still happened anyway. You know what I'm saying? Well, I mean, I think I think what we're all waiting for at this point is is that, you know, right now it's it's accusations from several years ago or it's people that you'd always heard rumors about, you know, right. people Wein- yeah, who who were part of the problem, but was kept under wraps. Right. Weinstein, Weinstein, we all knew he was an asshole. And then when this came out, you were just like everybody's like, look, well, look at him. You know, he looks yeah. like a rapist, um, you know, even even somebody who was was supposedly clean cut like like kevin spacey you know we all knew he was a dick everybody had heard stories about how he was an asshole and then this came out and you're like oh yeah i could totally see that it would be surprising at this point to hear somebody say something about somebody that's recent and i think that's what we're all waiting for because i i don't don't, i'm not waiting for it i don't i don't want it to happen (laughs) i don't want it to happen but i think that's what we're waiting especially women are waiting for because we want to see how hollywood responds in the moment right now i say there's been there's been no 
punishment for for any of these people. Weinstein, the DA, still deciding whether they can press charges. Spacey, Brian Singer, they've just gone underground, you know. And I think the the concept is is that they wait a few years, and that's the other thing too. Will these guys wait a few years and then come back and be embraced like Mel Gibson was? You know, that's I, true. That's yeah. what we're all. There's a lot of cynicism, especially from from women at this point. Because we haven't seen any action. We're, we're all talking about how time's up and, and we're done with this and we're not going to do it. But what have we really done? What are those strides that we, we need to see action at this point, whether it's against the people that have already been accused or whether it's how they respond to new accusations from here on out? Well said. Um, this is going to be uh, now our second to last uh, portion of the show here. Um, it's two segments. We tend to go through these very, very quickly. Uh, the first thing is some questions from the fans, and then we'll end it with uh, news of the week from Will, which we have not covered just yet. First question up from uh, Film Twitter. This is from Josh Blumenkrantz at McBlooster118. Uh, we're actually going to talk about this extensively next week on the podcast for we will be doing our first quarter of 2018 wrap up uh but wow. he's asking us a little bit early what is your favorite film so far this year mine is black panther Kristen. mine i think is also black panther well we're gonna be really boring mine is also black panther <laughs> mine is annihilation i'm breaking the trend uh next question this one's from Brent Leone at Faker Brent Leone. Should Isle of Dogs have gotten a limited or wide release? Will? Oh, no. I, th- I think limited is the way to play this one because it's not like a mainstream animated film. Build up word of mouth. Now, I, I do think last year they should have given it a limited release in December so it could compete for animated film because in a weak year, Coco probably still would have won. But, you know, it, it, there could have been something of a race. But no, I, I think limited makes sense here. This is not. This is even less mainstream than Fantastic Mr. Fox. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, this one comes from Tom Zambino at Road Raider Three Pacific Rim Two. I noticed an obvious product placement for a Chinese brand car. How long until overseas targeted product placement becomes more prevalent in U.S. releases, especially considering the rising importance of global box office? I feel like we've already seen this with. Uh, Michael Bay. Transformers. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah it, like, that, sounds, that sounds about right. Yeah, so I think we're already there, pretty much. Um, and I think it is going to continue to get worse. Films like Warcraft were made basically entirely knowing that U.S. audiences wouldn't give a shit about them, but it, they were going to make bank overseas. But yeah, like the Transformers movies, there's a lengthy scene where Stanley Tucci's in the middle of a chase scene and then jumps out onto the roof and everything stops so it can open up this, like... Um, Chinese milk drink and he slowly drinks it in front of the camera. I mean, it's no, the, the product, the product plays something. that's not even sold here. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I basically in all the blockbusters, that's going to keep happening. Uh, Will, you're a book reader, Kristen. I know you might appreciate this one as well. This one's from Leslie Davis at F Davis Frank. Every week I come across a dozen books that would be, that would make for a great movie. There are so many terrific screenplays submitted to Page, Nichols, Big Break, and other screenwriting competitions. Why in the world does Hollywood have trouble finding good scripts? They're everywhere. Ooh, that's so. I'm I'm a bit confused on the question. Are we talking about literary adaptations or just original scripts in general? Um, 
why not why not just go with both? I okay. mean, in your opinion, what is the what is the big stigma against brand new original storytelling? I think a lot of it is that the audience won't be interested. Um you know, it's the same thing that we get when we ask, why are there not more original musicals? Why is everything based on a Broadway play? And then Greatest Showman comes out, and that took a, a really slow build in order to get traction. And I think the box office model, the way it is right now, it's one and done. You have opening weekend to make your money, and if you don't, more often than not, you don't see a rate of return. Um, Greatest Showman is an anomaly. <laughs> Um, in, in a lot of ways. So I think with original scripts, unless you're a Neon or an A24 or an Annapurna, you're not going to take a, a leap of faith on a, a story that you don't think you're going to make your money back. Look at Annihilation. Prime example. You know, original sci-fi directed by Alex Garland gets dumped internationally to Netflix because the belief was, is that no one wants to take a chance on, on something original. Um, Hollywood learns through their, through your dollars. So if you don't put your money down on original stories, Hollywood just naturally interprets that as you don't want it. All right. Uh, this one is actually from one of our own uh, staff writers. Uh, this is from JC Aldrich at JC Aldrich on Twitter. What are some of the most unsettling psychological films you have all ever seen? I'm in the mood for another unsane, LOL, glutton for punishment. Ooh. Um, I'm trying to... The Requiem for a Dream, obviously, is... Oh, God. Extremely unsettling. You know what? In honor of you were never really here, we need to talk about Captain is... That one, that one, that one very much uh, upset me while watching it. Oh, and uh, just because I just watched it on Criterion recently, Shot Corridor, awesome movie. Yeah. If anybody is interested, um, I would I would throw out stuff like um, I mean, obviously, Seven. Seven's a good one. None of these movies yeah. are. All of these are going to want to make you open up a vein by the end of it. Um, or or something like American Psycho. I think American Psycho is a really intriguing psychological thriller, especially if you're female. That, that's gotten so much better over time, I, oh, I found. I actually didn't like it when I first saw it, but I revisited it uh, like two years ago, and it was so much better I watch it, I remember it being. I watch it a lot because it's, it's one of my favorite movies of all time, <laughs> and it gets more and more relevant <laughs> every year. I think that, yeah, I think that I definitely think that's part of the reason why I might have liked it a bit more. Um, maybe because I was just more socially conscious of its ties to society a, a bit more. Uh, and then this one is from uh, Jess, uh, another one of our staff writers, uh, at, this, at V underscore Cinema Bliss. What is the standout female performance so far this year? And which ones will you be keeping an eye out for as the year goes on? Oh. Um, you, you guys probably already know mine from the uh, podcast review that we released yesterday, but Claire Foy and Unsane is my female performance of the year so far. Um, I, I would say mine is, I have a couple, uh, Letitia Wright from, from Black Panther who plays yep. Shuri. Definitely a star making performance already. And, uh, Gina Rodriguez. I love Gina Rodriguez and everything cause I'm a huge Gina Rodriguez fan, but, um, <laughs> her work in Annihilation was like the high point of the movie for me. Nice. I haven't seen enough to really make a good statement, but I really dug Olivia Cook in Thoroughbreds. Yes. 
Oh, yes, oh. I liked Anya Taylor-Joy a bit more, and I, I don't care for the movie in general, but... They're both really good. Yeah, uh, I. It's funny because I didn't. I didn't actually like Anya Taylor Joy in it, and I. I preferred uh, Olivia Cook so much more. Um, Same. And watching Anton Yelkin on screen made me sad because of how much I felt we were all robbed uh, of what that young actor still had to give to all of us. Oh, you saw that his family just actually today or yesterday just settled mm-hmm. out of court with the automobile manufacturer too for undisclosed sum, but that has been wrapped up, that lawsuit. They deserve the company, personally. Yeah. Uh, well, I think he probably knew that if that ever actually went to trial, you know, <laughs> a jury would be like, yeah. And, and Will, just continuing with that trend here um, so that we can, you know, uh, wrap it up. Whatever uh, bits of news uh, came out this week? Uh, there's some fun ones. Did we know that Renee Zellweger was playing Judy Garland? I did. Nope. Because I that did, picture... Yeah spot on in there you know so i i am all for the renee zellweger comeback and you know this is yeah. somebody who ruled the early 2000s and then just disappeared yeah even the late 90s too even yeah she was everywhere for a while um yeah i'm all for it I, i'd love to see her come back uh in, in a major way come back to the spotlight i'm interested uh, in the movie i just wish we test we only loved judy when she was like really fucked up <laughs> Oscar like, bait. I, it, it is Oscar bait. It is Oscar bait. Um, I just, I was like, you know, Judy had some good years. They weren't great, but some of them were worth telling. Um, but I mean, I'm gonna go. So, so other interesting news: Mark Ruffalo and Kamal Nanjiani Ruffalo. are in talk. Mark Ruffalo and Kamal Nanjiani are in talks for this film called True American, which. Was based on a nonfiction book about this guy who was uh, went out to attack Muslims in Texas, and basically one of the guys who he brutally attacked survived, and then set out to uh, make sure that his attacker was not executed. So it's an interesting story. It's an always timely story, um, and apparently Annapurna has been attached to the idea for ages and wanted to move forward with it. Same with Catherine Bigelow. But they got cold feet after Detroit underperformed. And it looks like Amazon's going to take the, the project now. I mean, after all of the exposure that the Big Sick uh, gave to Amazon this year, I would hope that they have Kumail Nanjiani's back. Um, yeah. This does sound like something that could – uh, be very politically incorrect, uh, and I can understand why some of the studios might be a little afraid of it. But at the same time, though, it sounds to me like the story is seeped within uh, compassion right now, uh, especially you know t- for such a hateful uh, subject. And um, I still maintain, you know, that was the message that Three Billboards was putting out there, and you know, people, you know, did not like how it was saying that message. Hopefully, uh, this one can uh, express it in a different kind of a way. And also, too, um, let's get Mark Ruffalo an Oscar. Seriously. Yeah, that needs to happen soon. So, moving on, um, Kristen obviously will like anything related to this project. You know, we've talked about a couple times that Timothy Chalamet, Henry V movie, which is still weird to me because Chalamet does not look the part at all. He's also like, 10 years too young but that, that that's a moot point 
Uh, Joel Edgerton has joined the uh, David Michaud, Henry V film. Kristen, you know, you're, you're obviously you're a Chalamet fan and you're a history fan. Do you have any thoughts on that project? I and I'm a Shakespeare fan. Um, so I'm I'm for it. I'm for it. Yeah, he's not necessarily accurate in terms of being like Henry, um, but he's always good. He's always good. And I am I am all for doing Shakespeare that isn't Romeo and Juliet or Macbeth or Hamlet. Actually, we don't need to ever do Hamlet again because I've seen the best Hamlet ever and we don't need to touch it. Um, so, I, I mean, I'm, I'm for this. I'm for this. Give me all the Shakespearean adaptations, preferably starring my sweet baby angel, as I refer to him on the podcast, Timothy Chalamet. <laughs> all right. So Michael B. Jordan, you know, he recently announced he was going to try to see that inclusion writers were adopted for any project he's associated with. Um, and he is producing a project called The Liberators, which hopefully be a prime example. That's a World War II film about a black unit in World War II that was so successful that apparently it was instrumental in seeing the military desegregated. So, you know, he's, he's a fantastic actor and he's spreading his wings into producing. You know, Hollywood can't get enough of its World War II films. This, uh, that's, that is a story that has not been plumbed yet, so I'm intrigued to see where it goes. It's very interesting that Nate Parker is choosing now, 2018, to mount his comeback, because it does seem like an interesting year to do that. But he recently announced a TV show, and now he's announced that he is writing, directing, and I presume, again, starring in a film about Ralph Waddy, a... Uh, former LAPD officer who went undercover in some of the most tumultuous times in Los Angeles history, as far as race relations go. Um, he, you know, he went undercover with the black Panthers and it's always struggled with, was he more loyal to his roots to the black community or was he more loyal to the LAPD? So the, I mean, there's, there's an interesting story to be had there. I do wonder if Nate Parker, you know, releases a film in the next 12 months, people are going to come back to exactly what they pointed out last time he had a big film out, only intensified because since then the Me Too movement's taken off. This is just one of those examples where, and I, I feel so bad kind of saying this to a certain degree, um, but on the other hand, I don't. Um, he just needs to go away. I don't think that there is ever going to be a quote unquote um, break for him. I, I think that I think that I think that the industry has made that very clear. It's it's going to be an interesting test case because I, I hear both sides of the argument, which is something like Mel, Mel Gibson was able to come back considering what we all know about him. And he's just kind of leaned into that persona. Nate Parker is one of the rare, you know, black directors that was was trying to tell these unique stories will he be you know embraced with open arms i think most people assume that he won't be and that it's gonna be involving race and i don't think it should be i think we'll always have that argument but just considering the allegations that that happened considering that the victim killed herself considering his own statements that he made as he attempted to both simultaneously apologize and 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 didn't deny at the same time 
you know, I, I have no doubt that it's a story that should be worth telling, but to pick this time to know that people are going to bring it up. Why would you as a director want to do that to yourself? You know, I, I would think that you wouldn't, you would want the film to have the best possible chance it can have. And you're already knowing it's not because of the time period and what, what we all know. So it's going to be interesting to see how we respond to it. And I don't think he's going to like the response that he gets. Um, again, people who asked him questions when he was promoting birth of a nation about the allegations, he was not very forthcoming. And then he took that turn into, I need to apologize and take this head on, but he still didn't do it the right way that I think we all wanted it to be. So I will be very interested to see how this project comes along and, and if he gets the same caliber of people and support that he did with the first the first film. And it's a shame because that sounds like a really interesting story, you know. Yeah. It's but I I don't think it's gonna work out well for him. And he, he's a talent you know, his his directing in that film was you know, it showed a lot of the trappings of a first time director, but I think he's a very talented actor. And he has an interest in telling genuinely important stories. So it's, yeah, it's a rough situation. Film Rise ultimately acquired Sundance Jury Prize winner, The Miseducation of Cameron Post, which is not great for its Oscar chances since they're, you know, like they they had Marjorie Prime, which came and went last year without much hoo-ha, and they had My Friend Dahmer. They haven't had, I mean... I guess we said the same thing about I, Tanya last year when Neon acquired it. And obviously it was able to win Alice and Jenny an Oscar. So, you know, the times are changing and smaller distributors can get their foot in the door. But I like Cameron Post a lot. I think I gave it an 8 out of 10, if I recall correctly. I really enjoyed it. I think, if I remember correctly, my... Oscar prospects for it were best adapted screenplay and that's it and even then in a crowded field especially also too with um uh what's it called boy erased yeah yeah with boy erased coming out this year um also dealing in very similar subject matter I I do fear that this is something that is going to be uh at this point now swept under the rug but it's a really good film and I highly recommend it uh, to everyone when it gets released all right, and then we have Kristen loves this, of course. Tessa Thompson uh, has just joined the Men in Black reboot alongside Chris Hemsworth. So apparently, the comparison is not that she'll be the new Will Smith. It's going to be much more of an ensemble Men in Black piece. Uh, so we should expect some other big names to join. But I'm all for getting her, and everybody loved her in Thor. I'm all for getting. A Thor reunion and people love her in Creed. People love uh, her in Westworld. People just love her. <laughs> she's worth loving. She is. She is worth loving. Um, she's fantastic. I, she 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 was in Annihilation. She convincingly played like a twenty two year old, you know, uh, post grad student, and she's not twenty two years old. I mean, like she. She could do anything, as far as I'm concerned. And she is the nicest person on social media. You all should follow her right now because she is she is so sweet. Um, but I I'm interested in this. I've heard that they're going to add in a older actor um, because what I was arguing about this initially was that what makes the first Men in Black so fun was that you had this newer, younger, and yes, the person of color 
who was more with the modern day and was the skeptic um, against this old guard, crotchety, older generation, again, that get off my lawn type of figure with Hemsworth and Thompson. They're both about the same character, um, really. So I was I was interested to see how they're going to mitigate that. Supposedly, there's going to be a third agent. I don't feel we need this movie, but I will go see it. And damn it, Tessa Thompson deserves the same goddamn amount of money as Chris Hemsworth. I don't want to hear the argument that one is not. A, no, no. Pay them the same. I, I was going to say, I didn't say anything. <laughs> I, I was waiting for somebody to send you a comment like next week. Like Kristen doesn't understand that Chris Hemsworth's a far bigger star. No, I don't care. Pay them the same. Well, he can't <laughs> open a movie outside of. Amen. That, that is Amen. true. That is very true. You know, like Rush is a really good film. That crushed and crashed and burned at the box office. Yeah. So not and, like he's a I box think- office draw. Uh, one of my my good friends, Terrence Johnson, actually looked at Chris Hemsworth's entire filmography. He has not made anything, I think, in the last 10 years that is not a franchise or a sequel or a remake. So Cabin in the Woods. Well, uh, it, with, OK, so within the last five years, excuse me, I should, probably shouldn't have done <laughs> shouldn't have done, gone that far back. Um, but still, the point the point is valid. The, the, the point is definitely a valid one. Um Tessa Thompson, I think, is gaining so much clout at this point that, um, yeah, if if a story comes out about that and we hear otherwise, it's going to be one of those things where people are going to be like, well, it makes sense, you know, blah, blah, blah. But how many times are we going to continue to have this conversation? You know what I mean? It it just do do the right thing. Uh, That's not a pun. You know, just do the right thing. Seriously. Disney's run out of note of particularly well-known films to remake. So now they're remaking Lady and the Tramp for some reason from the Ninjago director. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to move on because that annoys me. Michael Showalter of the big sick is going to be directing a comedy with Jessica Chastain, Octavia Spencer. Now, a noteworthy detail here is, you know, Chastain, she and Margot Robbie are really getting off the ground, producing a lot of films um, Chastain is producing this one, but she also wrote it, which is pretty cool. Uh, no one really singled that out, but she gets a writing credit on it. I think that's pretty awesome. And this awesome. is the one, to be clear, that Jessica, Jessica Chastain fought for Octavia Spencer to get higher pay wage, correct? I, I, I want to say yes. Yeah, okay. I just, I wasn't, I wasn't sure if this is that, that same project or not. And then finally, uh, we have answered the long-running question of were Phil Lord and Chris Miller going to also get directing credits in Solo? The answer is no. They'll no get surprise. executive producer credits instead, and Ron Howard gets sole directing credit. I mean, I don't, I don't really care. How badly did they have to fuck up to get, to get that taken away? I, 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 this is like the first Star Wars movie ever where I, I will be perfectly okay with honestly missing it, uh, I'd say. <laughs> I really have zero excitement to see this. I'm going for the coats. <laughs> Love it. That is it for my news. All right. Great. Uh, let's uh, end it with uh, Kristen. Wh- tell everyone where they can find you on the internet. Uh, plug anything you want to plug. And from myself and Will and the rest of the team over here, um, I want to say thank you for joining us joining us today and also thank you to um, just in a more uh, broader and grander scope for, um, you know, taking the time to uh, 
chat with me and uh, you know working things out. And uh, I want you to know that it's just it's just it's really appreciated on this side. And um, hoping that we can continue to move on and do positive things together. Uh, exactly. I, I agree. I told you uh, off air that I, I think your apology was something that I, I really needed. And I appreciate you, you know, being being courageous enough to, to give it to me. So I've, I'm very happy to be hanging out with the team again uh, for the, this episode. And I hope we can do it again soon. Um, I am on Twitter at journeys underscore film. I talk a lot about Oscar Isaac and Coates when I'm not burning it down for not having adequate film history, apparently and acting as quote an elitist gatekeeper um so you can find me on there um my writing is everywhere so it's you can usually just like search for my name and you'll find it um and then i also host citizen dame we just did our uh most recent episode um that's also with with karen uh and a bunch of other amazing ladies we got to talk about the trailer for the spy who dumped me and how Justin Thoreau, I think is trying to single white female me into loving him. Um, and a bunch of other things. Uh, it was really, it's really fun. So you can listen to that on Spotify or iTunes or, uh, citizen dame.podbean.com. All right. And Will Mavity. One more bit of news. Chris, <laughs> you probably already heard this. Did you see that? Um, Margot Robbie is going to be producing a series of Shakespeare adaptations, telling them all from female yes. perspectives. That's really I that's pretty so cool. Excited. So we're, we're throwing that out there as well. You know, I mentioned she was doing a lot of producing, and this is just an example. That's so that's really cool. Anyway, you can find me on Twitter at Mavericks Movies, and you could find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to episode eighty-three of the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, and also on Castbox. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Nothing less than five stars is ever acceptable. However, if you are going to go less than five stars or give us five stars, does doesn't really matter write us a review give us your thoughts give us your feedback let us know what works what doesn't work we're open to any and all suggestions thank you so much everyone for listening and we will see you all next time Hey there! I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon.